Hello, I am Grayson Prulty, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. On today's episode, I sat down with Ron Heiser, Mustang Mach-E Chief Engineer, Ford Motor Company. Why electrify the classic Mustang? Why not? Ford Motor Company introduced the Mach-E in November of 2019, 57 years after the original iconic car was launched. Ron's lifting the hood on the engineering, reductive design, and pending launch of the super cool Mach-E GT. Rev your engines, drivers. We're going on a wild ride with the Mach-E. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Ron. I'm really excited to be here, so thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have you here. There's been a lot of really great reviews around the Mach-E, and the one that I love more than anything when I experience today is the head turning. I'm driving my daughter to school today, and I see this beautiful Mach-E, and I turn my head, and I said, hey, that's the future. That's a beautiful-looking car. So it was perfect timing for our conversation today. Great. Yeah, it is something that kind of surprised me at the beginning. I've been on a number of vehicle programs, and I've been driving uh, Mustang Mach-E's around now for around the Detroit area for several months or actually probably over a year i still get head turns and i still have people come up to me i still have when my wife takes our car out she uh, she'll come back home and say well somebody else came up to me and wanted to to know if it was okay to look inside the car and ask ask her a bunch of questions i think we definitely hit the mark in terms of head turning and having people excited about uh, about the mustang mach-e I would fully agree with that. I'd love to know, has anybody knocked on the, the window saying, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, can we go for a test drive? Yeah, yeah. They uh, More, more. they at least want to sit in it. And then, you know, I have, uh, I've obviously taken all of my close friends out and family out in the car, but uh, every time we go somewhere and I and there's somebody that I haven't seen for a while, they, they, they all want to go for a ride. Well, that's wonderful. And if, if I want to, paraphrase this with this you, you built this incredibly gorgeous car that's getting rave reviews and but you actually have an aerospace background coming from boeing how would you compare and contrast the two industries because you have individuals that oh they, they sit there and they get a burger and they look for planes oh that's a boeing oh that, that's an airbus but the car is different that people generally love it because it's been part of our, our our culture since george lucas how would you compare and contrast the industries well, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, they, whether it's a, a car or an airplane, uh, they're, they're definitely, when you're working on those products, they're, they're long lead products. Um, I'm actually from Dearborn, Dearborn Heights originally. And uh, so I had an interest in both uh, cars and airplanes as I was a kid. And, and I just happened to start out with Boeing. And, you know, when you look at Boeing, versus Ford, they're, they're both I- iconic names uh, in the United States. And so it's just very interesting. They're both long lead products. Um, you definitely have much more of an intimate relationship with a car versus you know going on an airplane less frequently. Um, and probably the biggest difference obviously is the number of, of cars versus number of planes that get turned out and at what frequency. I mean, we have, you know, cars rolling off the line anywhere, you know, upwards of, you know, 60 plus jobs an hour, we can crank a car out. Whereas, you know, when I was at Boeing, we were, we were, it was more like turning out a plane per month. So that's probably the biggest difference is just the, 
you know, the number of vehicles that get turned out versus uh, the number of planes that get turned out on an annual basis. The common denominator between the Ford Motor Company and Boeing is that you create lots and lots of, of high-paying jobs. And, and Ford was founded on June 16, 1903, 117 years ago. Boeing was founded on July 15, 1916, 106 years, years ago. Both companies have these long track records of innovation, constantly trying to build really great products to benefit their customers and the consumers that will use those products. Since you have experience at both companies, both have incredible legacies and heritage, as you start to innovate and introduce new products such as the Mach-E on the vehicle side, how do you protect that incredible heritage? That's a, you know, that that's an interesting question. You know, obviously with a, whether it's a car truck or SUV or an, an airplane, it's a product that uh, you inherently have to ensure the safety around for people that are operating it and, and or passengers that are, are, are in an airplane. So really a lot of work goes into and a lot of due diligence goes into making sure that it's, it's a safe product uh, because that, that's where your, your reputation really lies. You know, if, if there is ever an incident, it's always, you know, are, are the people safe? Because then it, it also then turns into a, a front center type of uh, situation where as soon as something has gone wrong, uh, everybody, you know, in the, in the media is obviously aware. I mean, we've seen issues in the auto industry. We've seen issues in, in the airline industry. And clearly those are things you want to avoid. Because safety ties directly into trust of the brand, where consumers trust Ford to make a safe, reliable vehicle. They trust Boeing, even though they're not necessarily sure if it's a Boeing or an Airbus when they're going to get on the plane of a Delta or an American or United. They trust it's going to get them to their destination there safely. And as we know, and we've seen all the data, individuals are loyal to brands. And there's really an interesting thing that I was looking and doing research for this with the Maki that... Ford released a stat where 70% of your buyers were new to Ford for the Mach-E. That's impressive. I mean, that is beyond impressive. What is that driving factor? Is that they tr- they like the design, they trust the heritage of the Ford Motor Company? What do you think is driving those incredible new 70% of buyers to Ford? Well, you know, I think it's it's everything you you just said there. I I, I do I do believe that especially with an automobile um you have to have that emotional connection, and one of the first connections that you get with it, with whether it's a car or a sport utility vehicle, is do I like the way it looks, and am I going to feel good, you know, driving around and having people see me in that vehicle? And, and that was one of the first things we really wanted to do uh, with the Mustang Mach E. And like at the beginning of our our conversation, you indicated, you know, all of the head turning. That that is an that is the first emotional connection, and, and we really strived to to make that emotional connection with the design of the Maki. The best part about it is if you, you go out and you and you buy a car and you come home, what'd your wife do? I bought this. She takes her ride. Everybody's looking at me. Okay, this is a good feeling. I don't like driving at this. I like getting smiles from from individuals. I love to know. So on November seventeenth, twenty nineteen, Ford introduced the Maki. Why electrify this incredible brand within a great company that's it's loved throughout generations? 
Well, I, my my first response is why not? You know, when you look at the it, when you look at the heritage of the Mustang, it it was all around um, fast freedom, and you know, and then wrapping that in a a package that again that you wanted to be seen in. When you move into you know where we are today. There is definitely a market that has shifted more towards utility vehicles. Uh, we're stepping into the future with battery electric vehicles. Um, you know, as Jim Farley has said, we are we are going to electrify our our most iconic brands. So it just felt right uh, to add the Mustang Mach E into. You know, it's not a replacement for the Mustang. It's a it's a second pony in the stable, so to speak. Yeah, and, and Mr. Farley has done an incredible, I know his tenure is very short, but he's done an incredible job in pos- positioning Ford for the future of transportation. I can't say how, how impressed I've been with his leadership. has been fantastic. I'd love to know, though, how did the idea come up to electrify the Mustang? Was it a conversation between Mr. Farley and Mr. Ford, or how did that come about? When we started... Uh what ended up being the Mustang Mach-E, it, it started out as much more of a, a compliance um, product. Uh, we, we knew we were going to do a sport utility vehicle because um, that's where the broader market had been moving. Um, but really we, we, didn't, we weren't developing an emotional vehicle. We had a, we had a turnover uh, in leadership at the time and um, we put a pause in, in, the, in the program for a very short period of time to, to really relook at, uh, at the data, to look at a relook at our target customer. Uh, Jim had just moved in to head up all of, you know, all of the global markets. Uh, so he was heavily involved in that relook. And at that point, we knew, we said, hey, let's try to do something that was Mustang inspired. And for me, as the head of the program, I just said, well, you know, internally in my own head, well, Mustang inspired, let's just assume it's ultimately going to wear a pony badge. And and let's push the let's push the vehicle development team in that direction. That's great because Mr. Ford's first uh, vehicle was a 1973 Mustang and he stated on the record there is simply nothing like the Mustang an amazing combination of power design and just plain fun it's an American classic love around the world so you you, you have the chairman of the company with, with emotionally in love with this vehicle and then when you propose doing it as um, you know an SUV how did that go over at first well you know we decided to go Mustang inspired we, we then continued to develop uh, the Mustang Mach-E um, under its code name. And probably about a year later or so, uh, we ended up, it actually ended up culminating in a, in, a, in a review at World Headquarters that included Bill Ford, Jim Hackett, our CEO at the time, uh, Jim Farley, how Tai Tang, our head of uh, product development, and it really was a fascinating discussion around 
we've now taken this product to the point where we understand just how good it is. So what are we going to name it? Is it going to be worthy of, of wearing the pony badge? And at that point, we collectively held hands and said, yep, it's ultimately the right thing to do. Uh, Jim Farley led off the meeting actually saying this is probably the most important meeting I've had in my career at Ford Motor Company. So that, that kind of set the tone right off the bat. That's a very powerful tone. And as the chief engineer for the Mustang Mach-E, you got this tone that this is important. How did you approach this project? Well, we we were fortunate in that um, we, we had made some good architectural decisions even before we were starting to lean into being Mustang inspired. Um, we, had, we had made the decision um, to be rear wheel drive primary and then with all wheel drive going then on the front axle as opposed to being front wheel drive primary and with the all wheel drive supplemented on the rear axle. So that was a, a good decision on our part that actually just set up the bones of the vehicle uh, really well. From that point, um, knowing again, Mustang inspired or ultimately wearing the pony, it really kind of unlocked the doors for our, our uh, styling team in our design studio to really bring in Mustang styling elements uh, on a sport utility body. So we started to reproportion some things and we get a lip, you know, we went actually lengthen the hood and shorten, but shorten the overhang. So when you look at the side of a Mustang Mach-E, you definitely get the sense of where the, um, where the windshield touches down to the hood relative to where the center line of the front uh, wheel is, that's called dash to axle. The longer that distance, the more sporty you are. If you think about a lot of more front wheel drive bias vehicles, that, that windshield is actually pu pulled forward and is almost sitting right on top of, of the center line of the wheel. So we, we knew the proportions that we were going for. And, uh, you know, th that drove some architectural changes, but... Um, not as severe as many would think. And then we also knew that we wanted to have that that coupe feeling in the rear and that coupe look in the rear, but we didn't really want to sacrifice any headroom. And so that started to drive uh, the studio team uh, on how to creatively do that. Um, so that's one aspect. And then on my, with my vehicle engineering team, and our electric powertrain team, we just continued to work to drive towards more performance, more torque, more power to get that uh, really that feeling of being a sports car. You're right about the design because if you, if you see the Mustang Mach-E at a light, you say, okay, this, this pony wants to run. Like it, just looking at it sitting there like, oh boy, this, <laughs> you're at the racetrack and it just wants to go. So you did, you did a great, you did an incredible job on that. But you've referenced your time leading engineering the Mach-E project as a wild ride. Could you pull back the curtain and share some insider knowledge on what caused it to be a wild ride? We went from being a compliance program to 
to being Mustang inspired to ultimately wearing uh, the Mustang badge. Through that all, we did some things that were different than some of our other programs. In the past, we were we were the first to use our Ford Racing Simulator, the first production program to use the Ford Racing Simulator, uh, which was really a lot of fun. Uh, as a chief engineer, you, you're, you're going in with the, the vehicle development team and it was, I had never been in that simulator before. We have the capability to change parameters and then with using the simulator, get the feel of, you know, what does it mean to ta- change the, the, the tires? What does it mean to, ch- you know, what, how does it feel when you stiffen up the springs or, or change uh, some of the front or rear suspension? You know, what are you feeling in the steering? What are you feeling in the handling and the ride? It's, it's, that was amazing. So that, that was one element. The other element that was a lot of fun is with electric vehicles, aerodynamics is super important. And um, we did a lot of work with the studio in the wind tunnel. I personally went to the wind tunnel. Again, I have an aerospace degree and actually understand aerodynamics. And so really the chief studio designer and I went to the wind tunnel with the working level team and we, we made decisions on the fly. You know, little things that would improve uh, subtle surface changes that really provided a lot of aero benefits. We were able to execute those right in the wind tunnel by by just changing them there and then rerunning the you know, rerunning the tunnel and, and getting the results. So we we did things like that that were a little bit different and it it really made it a lot of fun. Is the Ford Racing Simulator is that where? the iconic GT goes to get tested in simulation? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of our, all of our Ford racing programs and our Ford racing teams use that simulator. It's just outside of Charlotte. Were, were there any major decisions made during the simulation that ha- had a profound impact on the final product? Y- yeah. Um, well, very early on the, the working level team was, was testing basic, probably more in the rear suspension architecture than in the front suspension, but testing the architecture out. Uh, when they brought me into the, the simulator, it was really into tuning aspects and discussions around what would it take to go further, um, you know, what, what type of changes we need to make to the springs, to the dampers, um, fine-tuning of the steering with, you know, coming up with ideas on how could we, how could we get more travel, you know, more, more uh, response in the steering. So it was, it was a number of things like that. And you've done, Ford's done incredible research around, even around the battery life. I saw all the, the Nordic testing of trying to see when you were in cold weather, like this was a really well thought out approach to, electrification i'd like to take a look inside the vehicle for a moment will you please kindly talk about ford's reductive design approach to the maki yeah um you know one of the one of the interesting things um was when reductive design really came through as a uh, a strategy from from jim hackett um 
when he was CEO as part of uh, what he, he would term as design thinking. And so what was interesting from a program standpoint, we did a lot of workshops actually with the leadership team, Jim Hackett, Jim Farley, Hao Tai Tang, and went through workshops on design thinking and reductive design and what are the appropriate elements uh, to keep in the car, you know, that are traditional elements, what are things we should be looking at potentially removing something physical, but still keeping the feature in place with, with something digital. Our work really went into researching the interior of the car. Not only like the sync screen itself, which that went through a big design evolution because obviously we pulled out all of the traditional hard dials and uh, buttons, especially from the climate system. But you'll notice we kept the volume knob uh, on the audio because that was deemed very, very important. So that all came out through through research and, and that is probably one of the biggest uh, examples of reductive design. Another area, if you're in, in the car, you notice we don't have a, a big door handle on the, on the interior or on the exterior. Th those are examples, again, of reductive design and how do we make something that maybe has been done for 30 years new and, and more efficient uh, for the customer. You've done really great things, and the thing that stands out, I'd love to know, you, you, I read the reviews, and there's a lot of reviews that talk about the 15.5-inch screen. Why 15.5-inch? Was there different versions made and you, during the trial, and, and how was that 15.5 the ultimate size that was decided upon? We looked at how big we thought we, we could go. I mean, there's sort of an element out there that, you know, the bigger you can go, the better off you are. Um, and you see that in some cases with, you know, a bunch of trends in the industry. So, so quite simply, you know, we have the size of the vehicle. The, the screen layout and positioning is really driven by, you know, the ergonomics of the driver and their ability to, to reach and execute controls and also, you know, the position relative to how they you know, when they have to look at the screen, ergonomically, is it in the right spot? And between the size of the vehicle and the, and the real estate uh, that we had to, to play with, including how we were gonna lay out all of the HVAC uh, registers and, and make sure we get enough air to the driver and the passenger, we settled in on the, on the, on the, the screen size we have. The other element of it now, once you have that screen size, is there's kind of the natural tendency, well, I have a bigger screen, I can jam more information on it. And we really took a step back and tried to, to make sure that with the larger screen, it actually opens up the size of the controls. So the touch zones to you know execute uh, taking the temperature up, increasing the temperature or decreasing the temperature, for instance, is a much larger touch zone on a, on a, than on a traditional size screen. So we took all of those types of elements into play. Smart. 
you're you're taking the user experience to heart. You're building a product that your customers want to use, and I'll frankly say they want to enjoy. And driving the Mustang is a joy. And I see individuals driving; they've got the biggest ear-to-ear grin, smile on their face. So you did it in an incredible job there. They're not trying to find a knob for this, a knob for that. So well done. As we look into to the future, does the entire dashboard eventually become a screen? You know, I you know I I can see trends potentially you know going in those types of directions. Um, like I said, I think there is a tendency to to say, hey, as capabilities increase, why not take advantage of them? Yeah, it, it's smart and. I, I, this is a really important issue I'm about to discuss for a, a lot of individuals in the industry, and Ford has taken a leadership position on driver monitoring. You're, you're doing really good things. You're making really incredible, profound public statements that, frankly, more companies should make because you're, you're, you're doing it right. So with Ford's recently introduced Blue Cruise, one of the key safety features is the driver-facing camera that monitors eye gaze and head position to ensure the driver's remain on the road, as I stated, really, really smart. Why is Ford taking this incredible leadership approach? Is it the culture of safety? Is it doing right by your customers, building that trust? It's a brilliant move. I'd love to know, why are you taking this leadership mantle? Safety has always been one of our, our, our company pillars. So it it's natural, I think, for you know, the engineering teams, the product development teams to understand the importance of safety and and we take it seriously. And obviously in that space, things have are, are changing over time as new as new features are coming in uh, and capabilities. So like you pointed out with our, our Blue Cruise system, we, we knew to really ensure the safety of the drivers and the passengers that we wanted, we we knew that you had to ensure that the drivers were attentive. You know, we're not we're not espousing that Blue Cruise is is level five autonomous. It's a it's a very very robust level two autonomy uh, level vehicle. You know that is really going to give you a hands free experience. It's uh, it is uh, really relaxing to drive with blue cruise i was i was shocked at how relaxing it was and thank you for for pointing out passengers because it's not just the driver that could get into a bad situation it's it's all the passengers so thank you for for pointing that out because of those are the individuals riding in your car and uh, maki extremely cool car extremely well received by the media by customers even on, on social media. And I'd love to know, there's an individual who's got a young child, their child might see an ad on TV, or they pull up a YouTube video and say, Mom, Dad, this is this is really cool. Look look what they're building. I, I want to go build this one day. Does Ford have any community outreach, or are they doing anything in the local community to encourage uh, these individuals that have children that want to go into engineering, that want to build the future? Ford, as a, a corporation, is heavily involved with STEM uh, around, you know, around not just around the country, but around around the globe. You know, locally here in Dearborn, where we have things like the Henry Ford Academy. Also, Ford is heavily engaged with uh, our universities as well in terms of sponsoring and, and, and funding uh, um, 
different you know events uh, supporting uh, a lot of the engineering teams that are in universities that are out there, such as you know the the solar racing programs and things like that. Um, so yes, I mean I, I think we're we're really hitting it at at all levels. You know, starting at, you know prior to to somebody getting into the university, and then also once uh, once a student gets into the university. Oh, that's fantastic. Then just, just Ford offer internships for these individuals that, that could apply to be, become an intern in one of the various different Ford programs? Oh, yeah. We have we have active internship programs uh, every year. I mean, we, we are, I think we're onboarding interns right now as we speak uh, with, uh, with the end of the uh, spring semester at most of the universities now. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic because I started as an, an intern in my career and it completely changed my life. So I'll never forget being, being what an intern did for me personally and other individuals that I know that started as an intern. It had a profound positive impact on their lives. And putting this all into context, we've covered a lot of ground. What would you like the listeners to take away with them? Uh, probably the biggest thing for me is is that when you look at... Uh, the way that the ind- industry is migrating towards battery electric vehicles, don't don't view the Mustang Mach-E as the tip of the spear for Ford Motor Company, but really the uh, the tip of the iceberg. We've uh, we've got oh, we've already announced. You know, we have our F one fifty electric vehicle that will be out. Uh, you know, sometime soon. Uh, we've announced our, our Transit. We we have much more coming. It's really going to be an exciting space. I think Mustang Mach-E has demonstrated that Ford Motor Company is serious about battery electric vehicles. Uh, that's why we are branding, you know, using our most iconic brands in the battery electric space. And, and I think that we're proving that uh, we have the capability to deliver a compelling battery electric vehicle. Uh, and so I, I think that's the main takeaway that I would leave for uh, the viewers. There's no doubt Ford's committed to electrification. Mr. Farley's made public statements, and, and me as a consumer, when you take the Ford F-150, which is beloved in the construction industry in various different industries, and, and you make an electric version of it, that's a huge statement. And you make an electric version of the Mustang, that's another huge statement. I can't wait to see what Ford electrifies next because tomorrow is today today is tomorrow and the future is cool looking evs and i can't wait to see what ford continues to electrify so thank you great this was a lot of fun thank you for listening to sae tomorrow today if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more please kindly rate review and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at sae.org that's podcast at sae.org tune in next week to hear from igor Cherpinski. Director of Sikorsky Innovations. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.